This, this is the Our Auto Expert Podcast. Find us on air, online, on mobile, and on your smart speaker. Please subscribe at ourautoexpert.com. Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Now, here's the host of Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Nick Miles. Boy, we have a lot to talk about on today's show. I can tell you, it's absolutely packed. Uh, we're going to be talking about winter. You can't avoid it. Just can pretend it's not coming, but it's coming. We're going to talk about uh, tires. Uh, if you think about it, they're the only part of your car that actually, ch- actually touches the road. So we're going to talk about those and find out some of the things that are misconceived about tires. For instance, there's no such thing as an all-season tire. There is a three-season tyre, but they're not as efficient as they need to be in winter. We'll talk to Steve Capino from Pirelli. Uh, Megan's going to be here from mummytravels.net to talk about her off-roading experience. Andrew Quaylen talks about the new Acura RDX. We had it and run to the sun. We're going to talk about the buzz on Nike with Volkswagen, uh, Ford's new Corsair with Gretchen. And I have to tell you, uh, she um, gave up her flight to be on today's show. And Anton Wallman is back to talk about what's going on in electric cars, Tesla, and autonomous vehicles. There are a few things uh, top of mind today that I want to talk about. First of all, uh, Quote Wizard, which is part of LendingTree, they do car loans, they did a recent survey. And that survey shows which cities have the worst drivers in America. Portland, Oregon, number one. The worst city. I'm. I'm not convinced. I don't know if you're convinced, but I'm. I'm not particularly convinced, because I have driven in places like Miami and Tampa. Uh, they have what I would consider way worse drivers. Tampa was listed as number forty on the list. I think it's probably closer to number one. Also, want to talk about uh, drivers' licenses. Uh, do you fly? Do you go through any federal government uh, security checks at any time? Uh, several states are not going to be compliant come September next year with driver's licenses, including Oregon. Oregon is a fail, and they will not have a driver's license which allows you to fly. They've been granted an extension. Uh, the driver's licenses will start to be issued around uh, the summer next year but it's unlikely that everybody's going to get one that needs to fly so you're going to have to fly with a passport now we've known since 2005 about this Uh, the government has spent a lot of money on making sure everybody's compliant but why have several states failed i also want to talk about distractions on the road throughout today's show here's the thing i noticed uh i drove through portland oregon the other day I noticed that downtown Portland, that the buses now have these orange flashing lights on top. Yeah, you've seen them if you've been in Portland. These orange flashing lights are supposed to make things safer. With Seattle um, having things like speeding signs, with Portland having the flashing lights on top of buses, with places like Chicago having the big signs, I think government are contributing to distracting drivers. Uh, that's something else we want to talk about, too. I think these buses with the flashing lights on the top 
those orange flashing lights if you haven't seen them they've uh, they've hit the portland bus fleets and those i think those lights are distracting so those are some of the things that i think are distracting including those signs by the way that flash your speed up they distract me all the time i look over and look at them never speeded but look at those signs and uh, i think those signs are distracting uh, i also think the big advertising billboards that change and flash and have animations they're distracting and uh, governments are the ones complaining about distracted drivers uh, Megan, do you find the orange flashing lights on top of the buses distracting? I have no idea what you're talking about. So apparently not. <laughs> I'm in my own land. So if know. you if you have driven through uh, anywhere there's a TriMet bus in Portland, Oregon. I have all the time. I have. They have these orange flashing lights that go to and forth on the front. They just go back and forth. A bit like a Cylon. Uh, you, know, you know what that Cylon is, do you? Nope. Oh, dear. Is that British stuff or... Um, I'm just trying to think of something else that you might see. You know the crosswalk flashing lights that flash when they when yes. someone acted. Yes. Okay, that's probably so. The buses now have those on top. I, maybe I haven't seen a bus with that yet, because I certainly haven't noticed it. Um, you don't. You don't actually live in Portland. You live outside of Portland. I do by quite a ways, but I mean I come into Portland quite a bit. Right. Here I am. Seattle has the speed signs. So as you drive into Seattle, you see the speed cameras flash uh, a sign and tell you what speed you're doing. I think those are distracting. Chicago. What worries me about those is that they might have a camera in them and they might take my picture and I I'll get a speeding think, ticket. So here's the deal. I think they want you to think that, but I don't know any that do. I think it's just government shenanigans. I, You know how I feel about the government, Nick. So I do. I don't like it. <laughs> and I don't believe in flashing lights. And <laughs> To be honest with you, I'm not sure anybody that is very pro-government in these days. Times. Well, I think that's that true. So it's uh, Everybody has some quip with the government. But, you know, it's, nothing's changed for 250 years. So I really hate um, the uh, cameras that take your picture and give you a ticket. Yeah, they, they've had some problems with those. But, they again, don't break the law. That's the deal. Do you, have, you, have you had a photo ticket? No, but... <laughs> Someone I know did recently. Uh, your son Noah. Yes, <laughs> that's what I get for buying him a Mustang. Oh, it put a big smile on my face that day. Yeah, I know. I was like, was I, it, was I called it, him at college. I was like, "You have some explaining to do, son." And he's like, "Yeah, I know." He knew. He knew it was coming. Really? He's like, "Oh yeah, I could tell the camera's taking my picture." I was like, "Gosh, dang it, Noah!" You should wear a hat. Sunglasses. He was wearing sunglasses, but it's very obviously him. Oh, really? Yeah. How fast was he going? Did he run a red light or did he go speed? He did not run a red light. He was going with the flow of traffic. So, and, wait, 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 wait. And so, what was the ticket for? For speeding. Okay. So, so you know, going with the flow of traffic, breaking the law with everybody else isn't an excuse, by the way. Yeah, he said, oh, the camera's getting everybody. I'm like, well, then why didn't you slow down? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So how fast was he going? 12 over. Mm. So really not that much. Yeah, but, you know, like nine, 7 to 9 over is probably acceptable. Yeah. 12 we, over is not. Well, I think once you get 10 or over, you'll get a ticket. So. You know the new Ford Explorer, um, you can actually uh, you can set the cruise control to go over the speed limit. It looks at the camera, looks at the speed signs, even if you're going to work. But you can set it to do a percentage over. I like that. Yeah, it's... Recipe for disaster. Because some of them gripe at you. If you're what, the cars or the what? The cars. The cars will gripe at you if you have the cruise control set and you're yeah. going like 20 over. Mercedes will actually. I like Mercedes because you'll drive into a, uh, a work zone mm-hmm. and the car will automatically slow to whatever the work zone speed Right, says. but what if there's no workers? 
It's, it's a work zone. You don't know there's no workers. It could be hiding behind. It could be in a hole in the if ground. If there's no All workers, right, you don't is, have to obey. I'm done with you. Right? Coming up on the show, we're going to talk about Pirelli. It's winter. And uh, we're going to talk about tires, misconceptions, and what you need to know about your road tires. It's actually super interesting when you find out. So coming up on Our Auto Expert this morning. You're listening to Our Auto Expert. Welcome back to the show. Uh, winter is upon us. Uh, it started to get cold and rain everywhere above the Mason-Dixon line, although we're supposed to have a, uh, a less vicious winter than in the past. Uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about uh, one of the world's premier tire companies, Pirelli. And uh, Steve Carpino is joining us on the phone. Steve is from Pirelli. He's a product designer and developer. Uh, Steve, Pirelli have been around for quite a long time, and this is a tire company that we really associate with the high-performance cars and the very cool performance cars that everybody can ha- sort of, I guess, own. But you're not exclusively performance tires, so Pirelli make uh, tires for a lot of car companies, don't they? Uh, that's absolutely right, and I just want to thank you uh, for the opportunity today to talk about our product a little bit. And you're exactly right. Most people think of us as uh, as a tire manufacturer for you know the supercars of the world, the Ferraris and the Lamborghinis, et cetera. But we've supplied uh, for many years here in the U.S. Uh, vehicles that are fairly well known, like the Ford F-150 and uh, uh, today a Jeep Grand Cherokee. In addition to the more you know European brands that are normally associated with us, like BMW and Mercedes and, and those kinds of vehicles. Now, Pirelli is uh, is an Italian car, car tire company, uh, and everything Italian, of course, comes with, uh, I would say, a good measure, a good helping of sexiness. Uh, a lot of the sexy cars you obviously do, but uh, the other cars, how long have Pirelli been around? Well, uh, it, it is a good question. I mean, over 100 years uh, as a global company, in the U.S., um, I, I would say, really, we've become uh, better known in the last uh, probably 20 years just because of the growth of the what we call the prestige market uh, in the U.S., the Mercedes, the BMWs, and particularly on the SUVs that you see from those manufacturers now. So uh, trying to build that, that brand image out there, if you, when we do surveys of, of customers, we have a very high brand image awareness, but they're just, in many cases, not aware that we do supply quite a broad range of products for a range of vehicles. Nice. Also, associate Pirelli with a lot of the, you know, I see them sponsoring races and see them very active in races and those things. So the winter tire, I know you have a winter tire line. Uh, why are winter tires important for consumers? Because a lot of people say, well, I have all season vehicles. And uh, so winter tires are actually very important for colder climates, right? Yeah, there's really two reasons why, you know, we recommend people, you know, changing over to to what what are called true winter tires. Uh, The first one is related to how the tire, you know, responds to different temperature conditions. And most people probably realize rubber compounds, whether it's shoes or or whatever the product is, uh, rubber compounds get stiffer as the temperature decreases. Now, in a tire, that means uh, primarily the, the, the tread or the part of the tire in contact with the surface uh, of the road has the same kind of response. 
Now, the reason that's uh, important in your tires is as that product or that rubber gets stiffer and stiffer when temperature drops, the overall performance and particularly the traction levels uh, will decrease fairly significantly. Uh, the second reason we, we like to recommend winter tires is for anyone who lives in a region where they do get uh, any kind of significant amount of snowfall, uh, those tires have very specific tread compounds and tread patterns designed to give uh, you know, optimum traction on both ice and snow. Would I, would I notice a difference driving with an all-season and a winter tire? Uh, it depends on the conditions. Uh, as, as temperatures get down, uh, let's say below eh, 20, 30 degrees Fahrenheit, that's where you start seeing uh, certainly a summer tire not performing as well. And, and even an all-season tire, some of the traction and grip levels starts to degrade. The all-season tires are generally pretty good down to about minus 10 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, but the traction levels are compromised the lower you go. And, of course, if, if you're in a wintry area that gets any kind of significant snowfall at all, uh, that's where you really want the winter tires because they have both a tread compound that remains flexible at those low temperatures and gives you the optimum grip in, in wet or dry, but has a specific tread pattern designed to give uh, maximum snow traction performance. If, if you're listening in, in uh, Midwest radio stations, Chicago, we're talking to you right now. Winter tires an absolute must. Are all-season tires adequate for driving in the winter temperatures, or what, what's the difference between the all-season tires and the winter? Is it just that, that once the, the, the rubber gets stiffer, uh, they, don't, they don't do as well? I mean, would I notice him breaking? What would I, would I yeah. you know, give me the exact yeah. situation I'd notice the change in. Yeah, it, it, it depends, you know, on, on, on how you define adequate and, and, and what kind of, of uh, temperature range you see and snowfall you see, of course. Uh, if the temperature never drops below, let's say, 30 degrees in winter in, in your region and, and you have minimal snowfall, then all season is going to be, you know, probably adequate or more than adequate uh, for many people. Uh, however, as the snowfall you know increases, obviously, and, and temperature drops farther, um, that's where you really see the the, the outperformance of uh, of winter tires. And it's not just um, in in, in uh, respect to snow traction. Uh, the overall traction, even on wet surfaces, uh, decreases fairly significantly as you get down below that. 20, 30 degree temperature range, right. uh, even on an all season tire. So you can, you, you will see significant difference uh, in day to day driving. Uh, you know, you, unfortunately you don't see those differences typically until you're at the limit in some kind of uh, emergency situation. Uh, so that's why we recommend people do the changeover uh, you know, before that temperature starts getting too low. How does, uh, as a tire expert over at Pirelli, how do you uh, find the difference between all-wheel drive versus front-wheel drive or rear-wheel drive? How do the tires perform differently on those vehicles, or do they? Well, yeah, I mean, the tires are providing a certain level of traction, whether that's starting traction or braking traction you know, as a function of the tread compound and design. They they don't know, of course, what kind of, you know, vehicle they're on necessarily. Um, in terms of one, one critical thing, whether it is an all-wheel drive or a, or a two-wheel, whether it's front or rear, uh, you always want to have the same type of tire in all four positions. Right. 
the reason that's important, obviously, is you want the same relative grip levels uh, in all those positions, particularly if you have to make some kind of uh, emergency handling maneuver uh, and you're going through a corner. You want you want the grip to be predictable at, at both the front and the rear. Right. The only way to do that is to have the same tire on all positions. Yeah, that's obviously a good idea. Uh, why should I consider Pirelli tires over other brands? Well, you know, that's, you know, probably some of our sales guys could, uh, you know, give you a very long answer to it. But uh, the one that I typically give is that uh, we do a lot of a lot of development with the uh, car manufacturers as we say we have over 2300 tires today that are that are marked with a little mark on the sidewall that they have been designed specifically for oe manufacturers vehicles so these tires are designed to give optimum performance on those vehicles uh, so if you want to maintain that feel uh, of the vehicle uh, as it came out of the showroom that's the tire you need to have now, that same level of technology, however, is applied to all of our replacement market uh, tire lines, too, which many people are, you know, would be more familiar with. Right. And, and it's got that same level of, of technology in those tires, whether you're talking about treadwear or, or winter traction. All right. Well, I drive my Mini on Pirelli tire, so I'm very, uh, very happy with it. Uh, Steve, tell us where we can find out more about Pirelli. Well, of course, you've got our, uh, you know, Pirelli.com website. Uh, You can get really a lot of the details on the various uh, products we make for specific manufacturers and and the various size ranges that are are available in many, many product lines. And as I mentioned, it's not only tires made for Ferraris and Lamborghinis. Uh, We make a lot of uh, replacement market tires also. Uh, for many, many vehicles. I learned a lot. Steve Carpino from Pirelli. He's a product designer and developer coming up on the show. Uh, Megan's going to talk about her off-road experience. Andrew Quaylen's going to be here to talk about the Acura RDX, which we got to drive and run to the sun. That's all coming up on the show. You're listening to the Our Auto Expert Podcast. Nationally created, locally celebrated, this is our auto expert. You can get us online, on TV, on air, on digital, or on your smart speaker. It's all our auto expert. Try us on all the social media channels and messages. We'd love to help you. Congratulations to Arlene Cox in Chicago. With our help, she is the proud new owner of a Kia Telluride. She chose black. Not sure Chicago weather with all that salt on the road. Black was the best idea, but that's what her daughter wanted, so they ended up getting black. Don't be a hater, man. I don't know. I just like to wash my car less, I think. I'm not one of those guys out there on a Saturday morning washing cars. Well, yeah, because where we live, it rains every day. You don't have to wash your car. <laughs> All right. So you just went on an, uh, an outdoor off-road adventure. You don't seem, first of all, for me, roughing it is no cable TV. But you went on an outdoor off-road adventure. How was that? So I love off-roading, um, but it isn't necessarily something that's super family-friendly. But I found this company called Polaris Adventures, which is owned by Polaris. And they have these outfitters all over the United States where you can book either a self-guided tour or a guided tour. Um, So we did a self-guided tour in a four-person razor. And so they handed me a tablet with, um, it's essentially a map, and it has all the trails marked where you can can drive and where you cannot. And um, so it was just really well done. It was really easy. I walked in there. They showed me how to use it, handed me the tablet, and away we went. So it was just a really cool experience. They provided the helmets. Um, so we just kind of had to show up dressed appropriately, which was, 
I mean, you know, I'm a big fan of Easy, so, but um, <laughs> I hate to be that way, but it's just, you know. I think we all are. I mean, that's why drive throughs exist and things for people like you and I. Yeah, well, that's, and that's why I like the program so much is because you book it, you show up, you have fun, and you leave. Right. So it was really easy. Right. Um, so where did you go? Where was your adventure? So we drove over to Bend, which is in Central Oregon, yeah. um, and they have some really cool terrain in Bend. They've got the lava fields. They've got the mountains. I mean, it's just, it's an outdoor paradise, essentially. So we did the first day. We ended up enjoying it so much, we did it two days in a row. And the first right. day was supposed to be two and a half hours, and at four hours, my kids are like, we're so hungry. I was like... <laughs> I was like, what? It's been four hours? I was like, oops. But we did you did... let the kids drive, by the way? No, because um, neither of them have a driver's license. You do have to have a, with this, if you go through them, you do have to have a driver's license right. to drive. I mean, right. if you want to let your kids drive, you pretty much have to own your own vehicle. Right. So I just looked up a Polaris Adventures online because the guided tours is maybe a little bit more for me. Palmer, uh, Arkansas. Sounds good. Big mountains. Uh, mm-hmm. You get to see, uh, you get to go, uh, sorry, Palmer, Alaska, not Arkansas. Uh, Palmer, <laughs> Alaska. Alaska Glacier Experience. You also, uh, you also, and it s- starts around $395, which isn't bad. That's a guided tour. You get Painted Gorge Adventure that is in uh, California, San Diego Dune Tour. I'm into that, by the way. The you dunes. Know, next, next time we go to San Diego, I'm going to go do that. Uh, Laurel Heights experience that is in uh, Farmington, PA. Yeah, so they have all kinds of experiences. Yeah. You can go snowmobiling. Monticello, you can do a track. You can do track events. You can go to Colorado, Arizona. If uh, you need something more low-key, they Hawaii. have um, slingshots. Oh, yeah, they're all over Hawaii. Oh, see, so yeah, I got to drive a slingshot at Run to the Sun. How was it? It was fun. Nicole from Polaris came along with us. Very cool. Except for one part. We what? got behind a hay truck. Oh, but what are the chances, man? <laughs> the chances are I don't eat hay, yeah. and I did that day. Lots of it. It was, uh, they, they had the, um, it didn't have the chin guard on the helmet, so I had a regular open-faced helmet. And, of course, I had goggles on, but the straw was going in my mouth the whole See, time. See, now we had helmets with a visor that dropped down, so right. we would have been fine in that situation. So. Right, but that, without the chin portion, stuff comes up under the visor. Yeah, I didn't think about that. But we didn't have any of those issues. It was crazy because we were out at like the lava fields near Sun River. Stop that. <laughs> and um, we didn't see anybody out there. I mean, I don't know if people don't know that it's there, but... Central Oregon has incredible off-roading. Oregon I mean, is a beautiful state. Oregon is a beautiful state. So uh, Yeah. But, yeah, so they have locations all across the United States. I think they're probably up to about 120 different outfitters. So what's nice is, like, you don't necessarily know when you are – let's say you want to go do one of these experiences. You don't necessarily know if it's a reputable outfitter. You don't know if their equipment's good or not. Right. And they've kind of cut out the, the guesswork because they have – they went and found – outfitters all across the united states and partnered with them That's so good. so although it was a polaris adventure i was with um Out, outriders northwest is who we went with and Ben. so it looks like fun the five points high desert tour in uh, in the northwest looks fun in Bend too beautiful lakes uh, i'm not so sure i'm into the snow ones by the way but Sounds imagine going to like montana and doing a uh, snowmobile yeah, I, tour I'm, i am right now don't want any of it oh gosh it's too I cold have you been snowmobiling? Yeah, I have. Oh, I love snowmobiling. I did it in New Hampshire on a racetrack. I raced a racetrack with snowmobiles. Oh, really? And one thing I realized is snowmobiles are not as uh, easy to handle as you think. You could easily turn That's over. That's true. <laughs> 
All right, well, I'm glad you're in one piece. Coming up, more on the show today. We're going to be talking about the new Acura RDX plus VW and their partnership with Nike. Coming up. You're listening to Our Auto Expert. Welcome back to the show. If you'd like to find us on social media, it's Our Auto Expert, and you can join the thousands of fans which uh, get all of our information every single day from our social media accounts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And Pinterest, too. Megan, you've been working on Pinterest numbers. Yeah, I've been putting car content on Pinterest. Is it my face, too? Some of it's your face. Your profile picture is bizarre, though. Is it on Pinterest? It's probably about 20 years old. I've been meaning to talk to you about it, but... um, (laughs) No, let's not talk about it on air. I'm slightly scared now. Uh, We missed you, by the way, at Run to the Sun this year. We uh, did Run to the Sun. It was an event in the Northwest with the Northwest Automotive Press Association. Uh, Involves about five different states in the Northwest. And the members get to drive around 20-plus cars uh, over two days. You drive them anywhere from about 15 to 30 miles each car. And you swap cars as you do it you've done it before right i have not you haven't you've never done it before no boy it's a fun event but i've done another program kind of like that called hills and wheels for women okay and it's a similar concept you just swap cars every time yeah about every 30 minutes you switch oh so for us it was over miles so you drive it on a route and then you all come to the same place at the same time and then you swap cars andrew quaylen was there with the 2020 acura rdx which uh, is one of my favorite vehicles uh andrew the the rdx is actually uh, getting a lot of attention and uh, since the refresh you guys have done really well with it haven't you it's just been a, an absolute hit we uh we, we figured it would be. We were pretty seeing the market response. You know, the car's number one in segment, uh, number two SUV in all of luxury. So, I mean, we, we couldn't be more happy. Uh, the other automakers who are not number one in segment probably want to know what's the secret source that Acura have with the RDX. <laughs> of course they do. <laughs> well, you know, the, the previous gen was a really good seller, um, but it really did so only on rational attributes. It had great cargo space. It was super reliable. It was a safe choice, but it lacked emotion. And so that's really just what we did was we kept all those rational attributes, and then we added all the emotion, the really good styling, the uh, awesome features, and and you know better colors and all that kind of stuff. And then boom, once you got once you have rational and emotional, it's it's hard to pass up. You were obviously the co-driver for Run to the Sun. You were the navigator in the passenger seat up front with all these uh, 23 different journalists. You didn't feel nauseous at any time, did you? Sorry, I've lost you for a second. I didn't feel, uh, what was that? So I said on Run to the Sun this year with all those 23 different journalists, you sat in the front seat uh, as the co-driver, as the passenger on a lot of these windy, twisty roads through Oregon and Washington. Nobody made you throw up, did they? No, thankfully not. I, I have a pretty good uh, stomach for uh, for cars. I honestly, I could in the back seat read the book and would be fine. So it's a it's a weird uh, ability that I have, and I'm thankful for it. <laughs> I would be too, because I've ridden with some of those guys that run to the sun. It's pretty scary. The, let's talk about exterior features of the vehicles. So uh, you you updated the exterior fe- uh, features of the new RDX for 2020, but you didn't kind of go from the Acura. You didn't walk away from the Acura DNA or you didn't walk away from the RDX DNA, did you? Kept it there, but still updated it. Yeah, so it, it's basically, you know, this is our new styling direction. So that, that was a big change. 
Um, we, like I said, we wanted to bring a lot of a lot more emotion to the car. Um, all the next generation of Acuras are going to look like this. It has a little bit of NSX cues in it, which is fantastic. Anytime you can draw um, some connection to your to your Halo supercar is is going to be it's good for the supercar. It's good for the the core models. Um, but yeah, we we wanted to keep a lot of the uh, you know the aspects that our Acura buyers uh, have come to expect over all the, over all the years. Um, but then be able to draw uh, other other owners from other competitive vehicles, and we're doing that. Interior, a lot of people are excited about the new inside of the vehicle too, because the updates uh, really what this vehicle now puts it, you know, square ahead or above some of the uh, luxury brands of the United States. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, you know, the keys there are really the materials um, and and then the the experience. You know, what what. What is the technology like? Everything from just the sounds, you know. So we have a new sound design for this car. All the, all the buttons and the ticks and the, you know, turn signal. All those are are new and and a, a heightened experience from our previous cars, and um, you know, equal to or better than some of the other luxury vehicles. The audio system in the car. I know you've listened to it many times. Is, is just incredible. All those all those things, the touch points, and then those experiences are what buyers are looking for as as a way to differentiate you know one car versus another and and we think rdx just really excels there if you're an audiophile um you will love this vehicle because at the launch which was in canada we got to sit with elliot shiner and those people that like steely dan may know him really well yeah. he's uh, he's done a bunch of other people but uh, produced great albums and Elliot's, uh, we've sort of become, I guess, friends uh, ever since he did the uh, e- e- ELS system in the Acura TS, TL, TL, to say, what TL, was it? Yeah, TL, TL was the first one. Yeah. So so that went, I met him in Virginia, and we've talked on the phone several times since that event. Um, and he is actually one of the most interesting people for car sound design because you sit in a vehicle. You put something on in the vehicle, and a lot of time people will stream it from their phone, or they will, you know, use something to. Perhaps they'll use a, uh, their phone or a device to stream the music from. But Elliot won't do that. He wants to plug in a USB because he the stuff that you stream off your phone is so low quality. He wants you to hear every yeah. single note, and then. I expected him to be a self-promoter, to be a flag waver, to be, hey, look at me. Uh, here's one of the songs I produced. But instead, he actually played a Bonnie Raitt song, which he didn't have anything to do with, but he felt showed off the best sound in the vehicle. And I will tell you, I have never experienced audio sound in a vehicle like I did in the RDX with him. It was just incredible. He puts, you know, the speakers in the roof. He did all the tuning. And he said, I... I, for a lot of these songs, I was there in the original recording. I was in the studio when Smashing Pumpkins recorded this album. I was in the studio where Steely Dan recorded this album, and I know what it sounded like then, and I wanted the car to sound exactly like it did when I was in the studio. And that experience, I mean, I'd, I've never experienced anything like that. Do you think it is probably the most premium audio in a car available today? Well, we think so, yeah. I mean, there, there's classic audio systems pretty much in it, and uh, you know, diamonds in the speakers and crazy stuff like that. Um, and, and the good hardware, you know, isn't the hard part. The hard part is making sure the speakers are put in the right place and then tuning them once they're there. Um, 
And so um, having Elliot involved is is what I think really makes our system so special because Elliot's in there day one in the development, you know, five years before the car goes on sale. Right. And you mentioned you mentioned the speakers and the headliner of the RDX, and that's a great example because where those speakers are, you know, we have a panoramic moonroof in every single RDX, and then there's obviously curtain airbags up there too. So it's really valuable real estate. And I know that they tried quite a few times to get rid of the speakers. They were like, hey, great idea, but it's just going to be too hard. We need that space. It's too complex. And and Elliot and others, you know, put a foot down and they said, no, we need this. Let's do it. And and they fought for it and kept the speakers up there. And then once once you know where the speakers are, you can do all the tuning magic when you have an ear like Elliot, who, like you said, he was in the studio with Steely Dan. So he knows, I know that particular guitar riff. I know that what, what they wanted it to sound like, and I can replicate that in the car. He does all the tuning, which takes, you know, hundreds of hours, I'm sure gets it all done, boom, the car sounds incredible, like you said. So I, there's a lot of good audio systems out there, but when you have an ear like Elliot and his kind of magical touch, it's, it's kind of hard to compete with. Very impressed. Uh, Honda are the largest maker of engines, I think, in the world. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I believe so, when you take into account you know, scooters and, and motorcycles and all those kind of things. Yeah, And all of the probably other power tools that you guys do. So yeah. the engine, yep. obviously, uh, Acura being the premier uh, luxury company for Honda, uh, the premium company for Honda automobiles, obviously you wanted to put a great engine in the RDX. Uh, so what are the engine and transmission? Yeah, of course. So this is a, an all-new engine transmission and all-wheel drive system. The entire powertrain is new for this generation car. It's a, a two-liter turbo um, paired with a 10-speed automatic. It's the only 10-speed in the segment. And then the all-wheel drive system is our super handling all-wheel drive. And that's uh, another uh, technology that we really hang our hat on. It's uh, true torque vectoring. Um, and so not only um, does that you know send power to a wheel if it does slip, but even beyond that, proactively, it will distribute power across the rear wheels um, to really elevate the cornering experience. So you get a really good handling vehicle, hence why we call it super handling. So it, uh, it, it's just fantastic. I mean, it's, it, we, it, it's certainly uh, a step above anything else in the segment, and um, we're, we're proud of it. We put it it's on... Um, all of our models, Acura models that have all-wheel drive, that is what we offer is super handling. It's just our default all-wheel drive system for the brand, and it, it's uh, it's just fantastic technology. So the 2-liter turbo, the 10 AT, and that super handling just all together is just a fantastic pairing. I will tell you that the uh, Acura super handling all-wheel drive system is probably my favorite to drive in snow and bad weather. It's absolutely flawless. Uh if you're just joining us, you're listening to Our Auto Expert. On the phone with us, Andrew Quillen. He is from Acura. We're talking about the new RDX for 2020. Is it safe, Andrew? Oh, my gosh, of course. Yeah. Uh, it has, I was uh, setting the pins up for you there, buddy. You're supposed to knock them down at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, it has a uh, top safety pick from uh, IHS and uh, you know, five-star across the board. Yeah, the, the cars. I, I, you caught me off guard because I was like, well, yeah, of course the car's safe. So <laughs> it, uh, yeah, that's kind of uh, um, 
default for for any product that we're making is is just top of class safety. Now, even down to your, the the actual physical structure of the shell that goes around the driver and the passengers, you guys want to make sure that that shell uh, protects them the best it possibly can. I know that uh, the body structure of every Acura out there is absolutely flawless as well. Uh, let's talk about the favorite features of the vehicle. What is yours? Ooh, um, that is a tough one. I, I want to say probably the audio system. Yeah, um, that's mine, by the way. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything. I know you kind of already touched on it, but yeah, uh, just all in all, I mean, it really is. Um, you know, I'm I'm proud that I get to you know that I'm working with Acura that I get to drive drive the car on a regular basis. But I mean, it really is a car. Thankfully, I don't need to you know buy write a check for one myself personally, but. Right. The day I do, it, it's a car I will buy, you know, without question, without hesitation. It's just, it's the right, you know, it's the right size. It's sporty. It's sporty enough, carries enough stuff. It's good for the dog. It's good for the family. I mean, it's, it's just a great car all around. It's one of my favorite cars for dogs, too, the, the way you have the trunk. and all, <laughs> all the space set up in the trunk is you can still get stuff into the trunk if you have a dog. All right, finally, availability and price. So, uh, yeah, uh, the car is readily available. Dealers have them in stock. Uh, it is um, just under $38,000. Um, if you get the all-wheel drive system, you know, you're looking at uh, it's $2,000 for super handling, which I highly recommend. The sweet spot is right at 45000 That's the A-Spec trim. That has uh, all our sports styling package, so you get darked out. Uh, the, the chrome, uh, are uh, blacked out. You get 20-inch wheels, and you get nice. a, a bunch of uh, additional features inside. You get that good audio system. I love you it. You get uh, cool features. Andrew Quellen from Acura, thank you for joining us to talk about the new 2020 RDX. Coming up, we're going to talk about Nike and what they're doing with VW. You're listening to the R Auto Expert Podcast. So recently I was in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where I got to go to the Volkswagen factory and see them produce their brand new VW Atlas Cross Sport, which is the two-row version of the Atlas, which came out. It was actually uh, interesting to meet the governor of uh, Tennessee and also to see some of the officials, plus Scott Kehoe, who is now the head of the VW group. Uh, it was quite stimulating to see American jobs, about 3,000 with this and the electric cars that are coming to be released in the future, about uh, 1,000 new jobs, about 3,000 working in the factory already. Uh, one of the things that VW has been doing is touting the fact that uh, they are pushing electric very hard in the United States. They have a bunch of concept vehicles that we have seen. Uh, some of them will make the market, some of them won't make the market, but we've seen these concept vehicles uh, start to be released at auto shows around the country in the last couple of years maybe further than that maybe four years or so one of them is the id buzz and joining us on the phone is will glock from vw uh will glock is the vw spokesperson who has been dealing with uh, vw and nike's uh new partnership uh will sort of explain to us in one sort of uh paragraph what the the new teaming up with nike does and how it's benefiting runners yeah, Nick, uh, good to talk to you. Thanks for having me on. Uh, the, the partnership with, with Nike is, is uh, one that came about quite organically, and it just seemed to be a, a right fit for us. So Nike is relaunching a uh, brand of theirs, Blue Ribbon Sports, which was actually their first name when they started in 1964. 
So uh, they decided to bring uh, BRS Blue Ribbon Sports back as a running brand. And part of their story is that in their early days, their first employee, Jeff Johnson, used to deliver Nikes out of the back of an old Volkswagen Type 2. So one of the people on their team working on this effort to relaunch the, the BRS brand actually saw the, the ID Buzz concept at one of our uh, activations and blindly reached out to us, explained the history, uh, and it just sounded right to us. So what we did was we, uh, we got the Buzz Cargo, which is a commercial vehicle version of the Buzz over here to the States from Germany. Uh, we branded it to look like their original delivery vehicle from the from the 60s and we did a cross-country tour uh to promote the brand to promote uh, a couple new shoe models that they're selling and also to promote our uh our joint efforts in sustainability and our drive bigger campaign trying to be more than a car company and, and deliver back to the uh environment and the uh, areas that we we live in if you are not familiar, by the way, uh, with the Type 2, it's probably one of my favorite uh, VW vans produced from the 70s through the 90s, uh, thereabouts, uh, in both Mexico and Germany. It's probably the most classic VW van that most people remember. Uh, the versions I love the most were the ones with their windows all the way down the side. Um, they had, obviously, the blue and white livery, and I've seen pictures of the original that you have together and the new one. And and uh, you, you hit the nail on the head, the ID Buzz uh, and the Type 2. They, I had to look twice at the picture because they look so similar. Yeah, you know, we, we've done a, a couple of different uh, bus concepts over the years, but this is, this is the one that really, really hit the mark. I think if you, if you owned uh, Type 2 back in the day, uh, you see the similarities strikingly with this one. And if you didn't, it's still... It has such a universal appeal to it, which the original vehicle did as well, and we're we're really excited about it. So, what does the new Blue Ribbon Nike uh, shoe program do? So, uh, give me a sort of synopsis of how the new program works. Well, uh, what what Nike wanted to do when they relaunched Blue Ribbon Sports is to reconnect with with the running community. So. Early in the in the in the days when when they first started running as it exists now as a sport wasn't really a thing. Like if you were running through the streets, people thought you were trying to get away from something, and, right. and you were you were odd. There was something wrong with you. But it's evolved into this worldwide uh, sport that uh, people you know dedicate their lives to and take very 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 seriously. So that's. Um, well, Blue Ribbon Sports is is a, is a brand under the Nike umbrella that's dedicated to to runners, to the culture, and to all of the their different environments and their locales. So, the first stop on our tour was in Santa Monica, where uh, Blue Ribbon Sports and Nike f- had their original storefront on Pico Boulevard, and. Part of this this whole program of theirs is they actually bought that space back. So the address is 3107 Pico Boulevard, and it now exists not as a storefront, but more as a a Nike-owned community center for runners and for local athletes to to gather at, to host events at. Uh, And that was the, the first stop on our tour. From there, we went to Chicago during Marathon Week, and, and then 
to uh, New York City, which is just a, a great environment for runners and everyone involved in the sport. I was uh, recently in uh, several places around the world, in Germany and uh, San Diego, and every time I get up at 3 o'clock in the morning to go do uh, my you know, TV segments um, where I'm anchored and usually at a local station, it seems like all these runners... <laughs> Like, where do these people sleep? I don't know, they, man. I do not know how they do that. Up at, up no. at like, 3 or 4 in the morning, and they're running the streets of, like, San Diego or uh, Frankfurt or something. It's kind of, uh, it's kind of incredible. Uh, the ID Buzz is your uh, electric concept in the last minute. Tell us uh, the next evolution of that. Uh, are we going to see uh, the final vehicle and when and how, or what can you tell us, or what's still secret? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, there are two, uh, you'll see two models floating out there. We have the ID Buzz, which is going to be the consumer vehicle, and ID Buzz Cargo, which is the one we use for the Nike Tour, which is going to be a commercial version of it. Um, the, uh, the, the Buzz has been green-lighted. It's going to, it's scheduled to enter production in 2022, and we hope to have it uh, for sale on the market in 2023. Um, we know that there are plenty of people who have owned uh, Type Type 2s, uh, buses in the past, that are really excited about it. But we're also really excited about the, the possibilities around the bus cargo as well. You know, you see we're, we're moving to this, um, you know, culture, uh, this delivery culture where right. we're, we're being able to order anything and everything online and have it at our homes within, within hours sometimes. Uh, All right. So we're really excited about that that possibility for this vehicle we could probably find out more at uh, vw's website and i'm thinking it would make a great van for dogs will got from vw thanks for talking to us about the uh, vw nike program coming up we're going to talk about the new mkc or the corsair as it is now from lincoln you're listening to our auto expert Welcome back to the show. If you're listening online, don't forget you can listen to any of the previous shows at OurAutoExpert.com. The uh, previous shows, you can go on to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and see everything about the cars that we've been test driving, plus, of course, our Auto Expert website as well. So I got to drive the new Lincoln Corsair recently. I have to tell you, pretty impressed with this vehicle. Uh, it, it is probably one of the best applications I have ever driven uh, in in its class. Uh, this vehicle sort of competes with the Acura RDX and others of those premium uh, sort of co- subcompact uh, vehicles. Joining us on the phone, Gretchen Sauer from Lincoln. First of all, I have to thank you because apparently you gave up a flight with uh, to be with us today. Yeah, I was, uh, I was flying back from New York uh, shooting uh, some campaigns, so uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me. So at least, did you get to stay in New York a little longer? Um, I actually flew back early, early this morning uh, okay. to chat with you. Okay. So, thanks for again. <laughs> so let's talk about the Corsair. Uh, this vehicle is uh, replaces, does it replace the MKC in the lineup? Yeah, so it's our new entrant into the small premium utility segment, which, as you know, is one of the most competitive um, so it's our two-row, five-passenger entrant into that segment. It's. Uh, I will tell you the application. I like the Navigator and I like the Aviator, 
But I do have to tell you, this is actually my favorite in the Lincoln lineup because it's it has all those luxury features that you would never expect to get in something of this size and at this price. Yet at the same time, it maintains this sort of little sporty feeling where I feel very much like I'm driving uh, more of a sports car than I do an, an SUV. At the same time, I've got all of these things like the, uh, the gliding, the quiet flight, or all of those things that Lincoln are famous for. You've managed to sort of all cram them into a much smaller space. Yeah, so it's um, really great that you mentioned that because one of the things that we focused on is bringing quiet flight and our Lincoln signature technologies down through our entire lineup. So in terms of nimble performance and some of the engines, we've really focused on bringing that performance and bringing um, the smooth ride that Lincoln's known for to this vehicle. And then in addition to that, all the great technologies that you know and love in Navigator and Aviator, we brought those down to the Corsair. So heads-up display, phone as a key, um, those great things that our clients love. Uh, we wanted to make sure that they made it into the Lincoln Corsair. Let's talk a little bit about phone as a key because no longer do you need to actually have the key for your vehicle. You can just use the phone, right? Yeah, that's correct. So um, using Bluetooth technology and the Lincoln Way app, you just sign up for phone as a key. You download the key to your phone. Leave that key fob at home in the drawer, and you can walk up to the car, get into it, open it, start it, um, and even pass it off to the valet when you pull up to your hotel. I've always said, and I like this feature, that uh, you can actually allow people, obviously, to drive the car by sending them access to the car via your phone. Uh, and if you're, you know, your teenager's away at college and is disobedient, you can turn their car off at any time right that sounds amazing <laughs> is that are you for real yeah for real so you know like megan has uh, i would have done that on monday Gretchen, megan megan has a, a teenager at college right now yeah you could turn his car off oh gosh <laughs> i wish i'd known that before i, I bought just, him a car last I'm, month Meg, uh, uh, gretchen i'm just empowering uh, parents to be evil to their children uh <laughs> The other thing that you can do with phone as a key as well is uh, you can do a lot of sort of uh, communication with the vehicle. So you can set things in the vehicle and you also you can find out things about the vehicle, right? Yep, that's correct. Um, so through our capabilities within the vehicle, you're able to see things like oil life and the vehicle health status. Um, but also you can set up all your personal preferences with phone as a key. And we have this cool feature called personal profiles. Um, and essentially you can program over 80 different settings within the vehicle. So seats and climate and audio uh, to your heads up display settings. All of that can be programmed to either your key fob or your phone as a key. So a great way to personalize the car for you or maybe your significant other so that you have your specific settings when you're in the driver's seat. So let's talk about interior and exterior features. First of all, on the outside, uh, of course, the Lincoln grill at the front with a Lincoln star. Yeah, so we've brought down our Lincoln signature grill onto the Corsair. Um, so when you walk up to the vehicle, you see that uh, signature grill. You also see some great LED uh, headlamps, and we have two different offerings of technology. Uh, when you walk around the side of the vehicle, you'll see the S-curve. And so I, if you ever have a chance to walk up to the vehicle, I highly encourage you to uh, run your hand down the side of the vehicle because it is a really deep body side that our design team actually uh, hand-modeled and uh, hand-carved because we went as far as we could on the computer. And then you walk around to the back and you see our clamshell lift gate and the rear LED lighting that goes across the entire rear of the vehicle. And then, of course, you step into the interior and it's just phenomenal. Uh, Lincoln's really focused on sanctuary inside that vehicle. So things like our 10-way uh, 
seats are our 24-way perfect position seats, which are optional, um, and our Rebel Audio system all welcome you inside the vehicle. I also love the fact that the interior chimes of the vehicle are actually recorded by the Detroit Symphony. Our symphonic chimes are absolutely a signature on our Lincoln vehicle. So we introduced them on Aviator. And as you mentioned, we partnered with our Detroit Symphony Orchestra here uh, in Michigan. And they recorded some different chimes for us. But instead of those electronic sounds that you get when maybe you don't have your seatbelt on or a door is ajar, you hear the more comforting sounds of our symphonic chimes. Which is, which is great sometimes, although, uh, you know, after a while, I'm sure you could be annoyed by the symphony as much as you can be annoyed by the car telling you you should have your seatbelt on. Oh, maybe I'll just wear it. Maybe that'll be the easy way out. Uh, let's talk about engines and transmission in the vehicle. Yeah, so we have two uh, turbocharged engines on this vehicle. Um, both are mated to our eight-speed automatic transmission on this. Uh, so first, I'll talk about our two-liter uh, turbocharged uh, I-4, it's 250 horsepower, 280 pound-feet of torque. And then you have our 2.3-liter turbocharged engine. That's coming in at 295 horsepower and 310 pound-feet of torque. So both phenomenal smooth rides, uh, but one with a little peppier performance if you're into that. You know what I notice is missing? Uh, you have uh, no plug-in hybrid in this. So we have a lot to come. Um, in the future, so stay tuned. But we have announced uh, electrification on this vehicle, so more to come at the end of the year. All right, I'm going to look forward to that. Uh, what do you? What's your favorite feature in the new uh, Lincoln Corsair? You know, I have to say that my favorite feature, having driven it many, many times, um, is actually our head-up display now, now that I've had a chance to get behind the wheel. Um, there's something subtle about seeing the information on the windscreen in front of you, and it's no longer down into the cluster, but it's up ahead, but kind of subtly out of the way, so the passenger doesn't know that you're looking at that information, but you can set things like your cruise control and some of your driver assist features uh, just with the touch of a button. So that is absolutely my favorite feature, and I highly encourage you to check it out. I will tell you that uh, that, is, that is probably one of my favorite features as well. Uh, let's talk about price and availability. Yep. So actually, our vehicles are available right now on dealership lot. So if anyone is out there looking, you definitely have a chance to go uh, test drive this vehicle and take it home. Uh, starting price is uh, $35,945. So an exceptional entry price into this vehicle. And of course, you can customize up from there to your liking. All right. And where is it built? Uh, so we are built right here in the USA in Louisville, Kentucky at our Louisville assembly plant. Excellent. The new Lincoln Corsair. Gretchen, thank you for getting up early and getting a flight uh, so you could be on the radio with us today to talk about the Lincoln Corsair. And I think uh, there's a lot more to come in that Lincoln story. LA Auto Show in November. I'm going to hold my breath and see if we have something there. Link uh, thank you very much, Gretchen. And uh, if you want to test drive them, I always tell everybody, test driving in dreaming are both free. Coming up on the show, we still have Anton Warman. Uh, I wanted to refer back to this survey and get Megan's reaction quickly in the last few minutes before uh, we take a break here. Uh, the uh, the website is actually quotewizard.com and quotewizard are saying now that uh, the, the worst ranked city for drivers in the United States it's got to be Portland Portland Oregon I knew it I, you didn't even have to do a study you could have just called me and I could have explained at length why Portland wins that I will call this uh, I, I don't think this is that accurate because Boise is number two 
Doesn't seem like Boise would be. Virginia Beach, I used number to live three, in Boise. Columbus, Ohio, Sacramento, yeah, Salt Lake, Cleveland, Denver. Where's LA? I don't even see LA. I don't see Seattle. I don't see Chicago on here. I don't know. Interesting. Portland, number one for the I'm worst I'm not surprised. No. It's because they're too polite. They're all just sitting around looking at each other instead of driving their cars. Why don't you tell us how you really feel? Coming up, <laughs> Anton Woolman's going to talk to us about what's going on with Tesla and the electric car field. You're listening to the Our Auto Expert Podcast. Welcome back to the show. If you would like to listen to previous episodes of the show, you can do it online at ourautoexpert.com. Every show has been podcasted from the beginning of history until the modern show. And you can listen to those. Also, find us on social media at Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, where Our Auto Expert is the main handle. Uh, Anton Wallman joining us on the phone. Anton, uh, Tokyo Auto Show is coming up. Are we going to expect to see anything jaw-dropping at the show? Well, I think the single most interesting thing to come out of the Tokyo Auto Show is Mazda's first electric car that they have been hinting at for uh, just about two years now, and that is finally ready for a public reveal and uh, will enter the market uh, in approximately a year from now. And uh, the United States may not be on top of that list, but uh, the U.S. should be getting those cars as well. But I think Europe is the primary target for their first electric vehicle but as usual with mazda i think they will uh, be able to produce a an exceptionally beautiful design that'll set it apart from most of the entries in the field uh one of the things that uh, is Im- impresses me is the amount of electric cars that are going to come to fruition in the next couple of years or so i mean the list goes into the hundreds who's really next on the list to introduce one for sale Oh, gosh, uh, this gets, uh, I mean, I think that the one that will be gaining the most attention in the very near term is, frankly, the Tesla Model Y, which we have now started seeing in the last uh, two or three weeks out in the field uh, completely uh, without any camouflage or other masking. So they're certainly producing a handful of them, at least, for for testing. And as usual with Tesla, unlike other automakers that tend to spend uh, you know, 12 to 24 months out in the field testing many hundreds of vehicles. Tesla tends to very quickly deliver at least a few dozen, maybe a few hundred vehicles to actual paying customers, even though they are either their own employees or close friends of the firm, and then sort of sort out the bugs in the year or two that follows. So I expect that pattern to hold here as well, that Tesla will probably start delivering a handful of vehicles probably around year end of this year, uh, and then uh, take its uh, sweet time of uh, 12 to 18 months thereafter to ramp up production of uh, of the Model Y. But uh, the initial production start here, if you can call that a proper production start, which frankly no other automaker would under these circumstances, <laughs> will I think capture some attention given the fact that Tesla had previously said that the production wasn't really going to happen until the second half of 2020. So they will, I think, do this, uh, calling it a bit of a early surprise when this happens here just uh, very, very soon from now. Now, it's basically a sort of a raised Model 3? You can say that it has an optional third row that will not be available in the early uh, stages of the production. They said that the third row variant will not be delivered until 2021. So absolutely, it is a bit of a race to Model 3. I guess that's the fastest and shortest way of describing it. Clearly, in the back, it'll have a lift back, unlike 
the Model 3, which is a uh, which is a sedan. Uh, but other than that, yeah, it's clearly a, a step in the direction of what the market wants. And just like with every other player in the industry that uh, is able to show some success in going in this direction, I think uh, so will Tesla. So obviously it's uh, similar to the Model 3, but is going to be heavier because it's going to be bigger and taller. Is it going to get the same fuel economy? It's going to, Tesla said that it'll take about a 10% hit in terms of range and uh, that uh, the price is also in the ballpark uh, 10% higher. So those are some pretty easy numbers to uh, uh, to mention here. Uh, basically, uh, 10% less range, 10% higher price. That's roughly the price that you pay for a taller car with a little bit uh, more interior space. And are they going to lose money on it? Well, as with Tesla, that is also one of the guarantees that we have in this equation. Now, keep in mind that uh, the story here is a little bit more favorable to Tesla than some of their previous product launches because the product supposedly very heavily relies on the Model 3. And given the fact that the Model 3 is already in volume production now, has been for uh, the better part of the last year, uh, I think that uh, they're going to, all other things equal, be able to at least avoid some of the snafus that uh, really beset their uh, some of the previous uh, product launches, all the way from the Model S to the Model X and the Model 3. So there are at least a few factors that talk in Tesla's favor here in terms of them maybe not having such a catastrophic launch in terms of its production and lack of efficiency as they've had in the past. So one would expect uh, the Model Y to become a more successful launch than their previous models. All right. Anton Wallman is on the phone with us. He's an independent analyst and investor. Seeking Alpha is where you can read much of his stuff. Anton, we're going to take a quick commercial break in a second here, and then I want to talk a little bit about some of the things that are coming up. I do have an inside rumor that Lexus will be showing off to a handful of people in somewhat of secret at the Tokyo Auto Show, which is where I head to tomorrow. They'll be showing off uh, an in-wheel motor in all four wheels of their new vehicle. We'll talk about that and more coming up on Our Auto Expert. You're listening to Our Auto Expert. On the phone with us, Anton Wallman. He's an independent analyst and investor. Uh, Anton can, uh, you can read many of his articles at uh, seekingalpha.com and the street. Anton, so let's talk a little bit. Uh, I was uh, obviously with you in Chattanooga uh, the last week where we saw VW roll off their new Atlas Cross Sport from the production line. The governor, the Tennessee of governor in attendance with some of the major politicians along with Scott Kehoe. This, uh, the announcement comes with this new cross sport that the fact it will have a thousand new jobs between that and their new electric vehicles that they're going to build in the united states so what are these electric vehicles and where will they be built so basically they're going to start kicking off a meaningful expansion of the volkswagen factory in chattanooga tennessee here in just the next couple of months with a groundbreaking they're going to build a whole new body shop and then take these new vehicles through the same paint shop and final assembly line that they already have in place with production to start no later than the middle of 2022 and the first vehicle that they will produce there is the sort of center of market uh, compact ish slightly larger than compact more like a volkswagen tiguan size vehicle that uh, is rumored to be called ID4. 
and um, that is sort of the big news here is that they will be making that product in this factory starting no later than the middle of 2022. And uh, in order to support that factory, that's what they're going to start breaking around on here just in the next uh, month or so. Apart from Tesla, are there any other uh, electric cars that are made in the United States? There are two that have been made in some sort of, you know, at least modestly meaningful volume. And those are the Nissan Leaf, which kicked off production in nearby Smyrna, Tennessee, in January of 2013. And then we have the uh, the uh, Chevrolet Bolt electric vehicle, which is made in uh, Michigan. And that production started in the fourth quarter of 2016. Other than that, uh, outside of Tesla, there really hasn't been any meaningful volume production by almost any vehicle that is a pure electric car in the United States because all of these other cars that we're getting in the U.S. from the Volkswagen e-Golf to the Audi e-tron, the uh, Jaguar I-Pace and various vehicles from Kia and Hyundai, they're all made outside of the United States. Even the Fiat 500 electric, which has sold uh, pretty well in California, is made in Mexico. So this will essentially be, outside of Tesla, the third attempt at anybody making a volume electric car production inside the United States. Is there going to be more production of electric cars, do you think, in the United States? Or uh, because the United States isn't so favorable to electric cars, do you think that uh, maybe... Uh, we will forgo producing them here and produce them in countries that will sell more, like Europe or Asia? No, we will definitely be getting volume electric cars made in the United States. The most recent agreement here that is pending a final vote by the labor union uh, between the UAW, United Auto Workers, and uh, General Motors, contains specific production plans for, among other things, building some species of all-electric truck potentially being branded, at least in part, Hummer and the Detroit Hamtramck factory, which is effectively in downtown Detroit, starting in the late 2021. So definitely there will be electric vehicle production inside the United States. Ford will also be making an all-electric F-150 in the fourth quarter of 2021, and uh, there will be others. So these are not the last ones by any means. You can expect that Mercedes will be making some variant of its all-electric SUV in Alabama, also around that time frame by 2021. And uh, BMW should be making stuff as well in their factory in South Carolina. So definitely we will have more all-electric cars built in the U.S., even though the bulk of the sales will go uh, to Europe and to China. So let, let's touch, there's two things here. First of all, let's touch on this. Uh, let's talk a little bit about electric trucks because there are a few car companies or a few companies who have sprung up like Rivian and, and those people who are not in the business but will be coming into the business with electric trucks. But the question is, Americans have always been pro-diesel. Their trucks have been used, uh, unlike most other places in the world, for real work rather than as status symbols where people use them to haul lumber, to haul work materials, to haul animals, those type of things with a truck. Does electric truck really meet the needs of what most Americans want, or is it really the upper echelon who are going to use their truck as a show-off vehicle? Yeah, there are a couple of different corners of the market here where this will fit in. And uh, first of all, it's those people who would have bought something entirely different in the past. They may have bought a 
for all I know, a Lamborghini or a Ferrari or a whatever. This is simply a status symbol. The fact that it is now in the form of a pickup truck is simply incidental to the issue at hand. And that is that this will be the new cool thing. And that there's a little bit of a market for that, whether they're just tooling around to their five-star restaurant in Santa Monica or doing something similar two miles down the street is a different story. Then you have certain uh, workers who travel very, very short distances only and for some reason have the extra discretionary purchasing power to do something, but they don't really take their pickup truck to travel, you know, across the state or hundreds hundreds of miles, at which point I think an all-electric truck is going to prove rather unsuitable. So you have a little niche market there, but overall you're also right in saying that the average bread and butter uh, pool cleaner slash handyman slash construction worker of some sort are probably not going to be the primary buyer of these new all-electric trucks. So uh, that market will not disappear, and these all-electric trucks may, in fact, expand the market size for pickup trucks uh, to some degree, not just take away some sales from existing pickup truck sales. So there will be a little bit of both there, but I think you have to think a little bit outside the box in terms of figuring out who these incremental buyers are indeed going to be. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the market for startups like Rivian. It used to be where Rivian were very solid and uh, they were getting lots of people interested in their products. But as the, as more and more car companies uh, start to get into the electric production, I mean, Volvo announcing their XC40 electric this week. So car companies who make gasoline or diesel vehicles moving towards making more electrics. The startups, which were really one of a kind, and the smaller companies like Faraday and um, those those type of companies who are really hard in finding it really hard and it's almost getting to where they're getting squished out of the market and some of these companies may have to make a choice in the next year or two about whether they're still able to develop a product where they don't have huge resources like General Motors, like Ford, like FCA. That's right. I mean, if you're an independent company doing nothing but EVs, I mean, you, you had better have some an enormously uh, uh, captive funding under your belt in order for you to survive. And pretty much the only company that fits into that category right now is Rivian. Uh, if, you, if you don't have that, then you had to have better have something that's so dramatically unique, that, that is so different, that it doesn't look or feel like anything else by a very, very wide margin. And perhaps, just perhaps a company like Bollinger might fit into that because their product is simply so different than anything else. But other than that, if you're just producing a fairly plain vanilla sort of crossover-ish SUV uh, somewhere all the way down to a sedan that's just an electric vehicle and you don't have a profitable business uh, on which to fund these otherwise inevitable losses associated with selling electric cars below cost, you're basically toast. And that's why there are, just in China alone, over 300 electric vehicle companies that I believe are likely to go under in the next couple of years. And there are a handful of them in uh, in North America as well that probably will fall into that category. So there's plenty of weeding out to be done there. But at the end of the day, the largest automakers that have a profitable business and have experienced manufacturing, service and distribution and other forms of life cycle management under their belt, they will be the companies that will be successful in the electric vehicle world because only them can bring themselves 
from the present state into the promised land by walking across the rivers and the mountains with billions of dollars in losses until we get to the other side. And uh, that is what will happen over the next uh, three to four years. So when we were in Costa Rica recently uh, with Lexus, who's celebrating 10 years in the United States and as a car company, uh, one of the things they asked us to put away our cameras for and put away our cell phones was the suggestion that Lexus could have an in-wheel electric uh, motor in all four wheels in the future. And the Tokyo uh, Motor Show starting next week, uh, they are keeping us in, in over an extra day. They're sending our camera crews home, but they're keeping us there for an extra day to show us some new technology and the rumor is that they're ready to unveil in somewhat uh, cloak and dagger fashion but they're going to keep it quiet uh, until a later date but they're getting ready to unveil an in-wheel motor for all four wheels of uh, a Lexus vehicle. Now this has been tried before but nobody has successfully brought it to market. Yes, yeah, it's, it's one of those issues that an electric motor enables in theory, and everybody has asked themselves, when Well, when will this theory be translated into practice? And thus far, as we are all well aware, essentially nobody has done this to date. Um, Bollinger is one of the first companies that is looking at a solution that uh, starts to look a lot more like this. And if uh, ultimately the Toyota Motor Corporation with its premium brand Lexus will actually bring this to market, then that will be a bit of a milestone for the industry. So I'm certainly uh, interested in seeing uh, if they're if they're achieving this and if it's more than just a concept, that if they can pass all of the durability and cost hurdles to bring this to actual volume manufacturing and under what time frame that, that would be possible. So I'm as eager as anybody to see if they can uh, indeed crack that code to go from theory to profitable volume manufacturing of such a very specific technology. Are we going to be able to use these vehicles? Is there going to be enough electric charging stations? Because if they become more popular in the United States, and we have, we're going to need a lot of charging. We travel a longer distance than most people around the world when we travel in our vehicles. This is why we're such a car culture, because you really do need a vehicle to get to A from A to B. We're living further from work than we've ever lived before in any history of mankind. We're using our vehicles for more things and making less trips back home to pick things up and more or uh, leaving the, the home and going for the day. We're transporting our kids, all their gear, our uh, pets, all of our stuff in our vehicles. That means we're going to need a lot of power to uh, use these vehicles and to, to suck up, I guess, out of the grid. Is the American electric grid going to be able to support a big influx of electric vehicles here? Well, I'll answer that question by first simply stating that I think you're asking a little bit the wrong question here. This is not a matter of whether it's convenient or good enough. The government is effectively mandating this. They're mandating it by by, by uh, forcing the automakers to sell a certain number of electric cars to meet a certain set of overall standards. So uh, this is like the government mandating you eat oatmeal instead of hamburgers. Uh, it doesn't matter whether it's nice or convenient to eat oatmeal. The government has said that here's what you must do, and therefore you have to fit your life into this equation. And so I believe that uh, the users here, the drivers of cars, short distances and long alike, they will simply have to live with this outcome because this is what has been decided for now. Right. And we are seeing that, uh, for example, in California, where 
power is now out for a lot of people for yeah. weeks at a time and PG&E, the yeah. biggest utility operator in California, stated just the other day that we should expect huge power outages for long periods of time for the next 10 years. Yeah, well, I mean, so uh, that, this is uh, not a choice, it's a reality. I love being told what to do by the government. It's one of my favorite things in life. I joke, but uh, there it is. Anton Wallman, Seeking Alpha. The Street is where you can read his stuff. Independent analyst and investor. OurAutoExpert.com is where you can hear previous shows and find out all the things that are going on with our show. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles. Find all the show episodes at ourautoexpert.com. Please follow us on all social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Our Auto Expert. And message us for a quick and witty response.